Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It is the 11th of October. It's a Monday morning. It's also the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. Let's turn our attention to some of the headlines. Um, Headlines here in the United States that you're going to hear today are going to center on what I will describe as ongoing gridlock in D.C. Um, Don't expect much progress on things there uh, this week. Ongoing debates about what's happening in public schools. The progress to be made there is in large measure dependent upon you um, in your own local community. There's an oil spill off the coast of California that has a lot of people's attention. And something that trended over the weekend on Twitter, where I know most of you are not on Twitter. Most of the world is not on Twitter. But those who are on Twitter were all a Twitter this weekend over a hashtag uh, about the prospect of actual civil war here in the United States. So we will turn to all of those concerns in the coming days. But this morning, I am reading headlines from around the world, and so uh, want to have us recognize just how small the world is and that the concerns of others are our concerns as Christians. Um, God has the whole world in his hands. He is not just concerned about you and me and where we live and the things uh, happening in our nation or our state or community. God is concerned about all people everywhere. And so in Taiwan, um, we are seeing a democratic leadership that is determined to defend itself against China's efforts to overtake it. In Iraq, I will say we had what I describe uh, will describe as a disappointing low turnout in this weekend's parliamentary election. I think that signals that Iraqis do not trust either the democratic process or they do not trust those shepherding that process. Uh, That's a story to watch as well. There are or have been talks between India and China. Now, when you talk about India and China, you're talking about uh, big, big, I mean, in terms of population and uh, geography. You're talking about big countries, big nation states. They are um, saber rattling on the border between India and China. Their military forces have been facing off there for some period of time in the mountains. And there have been recent talks seeking to... Um, find a way forward that's peaceable. Those talks have stalemated, and that that does not pretend positive things uh, ahead. According to a new Pearson uh, AP NORC poll, NORC poll, most Americans across party lines have serious concerns. So this is something that uh, you and your neighbors, regardless of their worldview, uh, share, and that is a concern about cyber attacks from Russia and China. So what do all of these stories have in common? The majority of people in every single one of the countries mentioned, Iraq, India, China, Russia, are not Christians. They're not operating out of a Christian worldview. When we read or hear these headlines or headlines like these, we have to consider the worldview of billions of people um, and the worldview of governments that are not like our own. 
And so let us be praying for Christians who have influence with those in authority in these countries. Let us pray for the least of these who are living right now under godless or God-forsaking regimes. And let us pray for revival in our own land, that other people might see among us a way of life and a way of living together that they might be that might positively draw them, not because we're American, but because we're Christian. I want you to consider that for a moment. Now, another uh, Muslim-majority nation in the headlines again is Afghanistan. The Associated Press is reporting this morning that the Taliban says that the United States is going to supply humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. The U.S. statement is much less definitive. The U.S. statement regarding the talks that the two sides, quote, discussed the United States' provision of humanitarian assistance directly to the Afghan people. But the United States also made it clear that those talks were in no way a preamble to recognition of the Taliban, uh, who now um, is in charge in the nation of Afghanistan since August the 15th. We don't want to lose sight of the people left behind. And so we are continuing to return periodically to our conversation with retired Lieutenant Colonel John Bradley. He joins us next. We'll be right back. Bradley uh, was a lieutenant general in the United States Air Force. He served as commander of the United States Air Force Reserve Command. He retired a handful of years ago uh, and has since been leading the Lamia Afghan Foundation. You can find information at Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. General Bradley, welcome back. Good morning. Nice to be with you again. I um every time I read uh, a headline out of Afghanistan, uh, the Lord brings you to mind, brings Lamia uh, in particular to mind, brings others left behind to mind. Um, talk with us about where we are now in terms of those we left behind in Afghanistan. Farewell. Thank you. You laid out uh, the predicate very well. We are working very hard still trying to get a lot of people out of Afghanistan with some groups who do that kind of work. There's been some success, not with my people, but with some others, and that's all good. And we we are we pray that uh, others will be kept safe and that they'll be able to, to leave soon. But we work very hard. My wife, my daughter, and I, we've been filling out paperwork for the last few days with a new organization trying to get a number out. So we're very hopeful. There's still great need there. Those that are left behind and all of the people of Afghanistan, many are suffering with lack of food and other things because the economy is more of in a shambles now than it was before. I do have one piece of good news on a subject we talked about uh, in this regard uh, in the last couple of times I was with you, and that is the two little children who were separated from their father in this, during the suicide bombing at the airport in August are now with their aunt, living with their aunt in Alexandria, Virginia, and they are just as happy as can be. Little girl Mina and her brother Faisal are registered to start school this week. They have their vaccinations. They've We're doing all kinds of things to get them registered for medical care and so forth. But they are just as happy as can be to be with their aunt and grandparents now. We're still working to get 
the children's father and their older brother out of Afghanistan. Um, remind people, um, John, about the young man who picked up uh, Mina and Faisal at the Abbey Gate, um, where their mother was uh, mortally uh, injured and their father was injured. And so just to remind folks, their brother took their dad to the hospital and a neighbor picked up Mina and Faisal. John and I both assumed that that neighbor was an adult, um, but we learned when he arrived here in the United States with them that he's a juvenile as well. So can you bring us up to date on that young man? Well, I will. And I had bad information about his age at the beginning, so my apologies for that. We thought he was 16. He's actually 19. <laughs> See, it's a little, to, yeah, you know, it's a, no, the information continues <laughs> to emerge, right? Yeah, he's a, so a young, a young man. Um, yes. And um, so is he Very still young. here in the United States? And how does that work? Because yeah. obviously no one from his family is here. That's correct. And his father was a professor at Kabul University. His sister's a lawyer. He's from a very educated family. He was just a neighbor, a family friend, and he just went to the airport with them. And you're right. He was inside the wall with the two children when the mother was killed by the suicide bombing. He went with the children and soldiers to the medical facility at the airport. They were treated. All three put on an airplane for Germany. After uh, eight or nine days, they were taken to Walter Reed Hospital in Washington after a flight to Andrews Air Force Base on an aeromedical evacuation airplane. And they have since been, uh, all three have been placed with the aunt uh, Farishta in Alexandria, Virginia. So the 19-year-old is still, the neighbor, is still there, and he is anxious to get in school himself. He wants to go to college. He's from an educated family, as you, as I've mentioned, and uh, he's a fabulous young very young man, and we're just so glad he's still with these children. There are going to be some good news stories coming out of this, um, even though there are uh, a, a glut of very, very sad stories as well. We're going to continue our conversation with retired Lieutenant General John Bradley. You can find more information about how you can help at LAMIA, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with retired Lieutenant General uh, John Bradley. Um, John, when I'm reading um, headlines about this member of the Marine Corps um, who criticized the process of withdrawal from Afghanistan, he's been charged with six violations. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Um, Can you talk with us about the Uniform Code of Military Justice? Can you talk about the special court-martial Um, that this Marine is under? Well, this is obviously a very serious uh, case, serious situation. When when one's in the military, there are rules, laws, regulations, and the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice, which do not allow uh, people in uniform to uh, publicly criticize uh, the administration or uh, the work that they do in the military. They're not allowed to speak publicly about that in a disparaging way. And of course, many of us are not happy with the way we exited Afghanistan. And uh, those of us who are retired or those who have not served can publicly speak about this, but free speech uh, does not, uh, is not uh, 
total. Extended. Mm-hmm. Extended. There's, thank you for helping me with the word. Does not extend to people in uniform in that regard. So it's a very serious thing, and uh, he'll have a good good defense, and we'll see how it comes out. But it's it's a serious uh, offense that he's been charged with. Yeah, for, so for those of you listening um, who aren't following the story, um, Scheller has been charged with Article 88, contempt toward officials, Article 89, disrespect toward superior commissioned officers, Article 90, willfully disobeying a superior commissioned officer, Article 92, dereliction in the performance of duties, and Article 92, failure to obey order or regulation, um, and in Article 133, conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. Um, I think that this is a story that's going to unfold before us and uh, certainly an individual and a family for whom we can all renew our prayers as well. Um, You and I have been reading and interested in lessons that we might learn from uh, Kabul, uh, maybe as a military, but also as a nation. I'm wondering, um, you know, as you reflect on now, I mean, has it been almost two months? I mean, almost two months Um, what lessons do you feel like we have learned and what lessons do you feel like we should have learned but didn't? Well, I don't think we learned the lessons, Carmen. Uh, you know, I'm old enough. I served in Vietnam and I remember what happened in Saigon in 1975 with an exit that has been compared to the exit from Kabul, although I know there are uh, quite a, a number of differences. But it, it did not go well in 1975. People can uh, look at the history there. But Kabul, we pulled all of our troops out other than those that were going to be left to guard the embassy, about 650 Marines who were there just to guard the embassy. We pulled everybody out, and then we started the evacuation. So many of us are asking, why didn't we start this evacuation six months ago, five months ago, three months ago when things were safe, the roads were open, the airport was was clear, and there were no problems leaving the country on airplanes. Why didn't we start it back then before we started pulling out the last 2,500 uh, soldiers, Marines that were there So for the mission in Afghanistan other than the embassy? So I have great questions about why we did it this way and why we didn't start it sooner. And those debates will go on a long time, but I've, I've my wife and I have concluded after working in Afghanistan for 13 years now, we don't learn lessons. There are lessons to be learned, but we just don't learn them. It's sad to say. So I think that as disciples of Jesus, like that's a really important question for us to linger on for a moment. Um, when, when we think about um, being disciples, I mean, that means we're supposed to be learners. We're supposed to be people yes. who are open to learning and and having our minds transformed not only by the Word of God, but by the application of the mind of Christ to the things going on in the world. So when you think about applying the mind of Christ to the matters in Afghanistan today under the current circumstances, you know, obviously you at Lamia and others like your organization have had to pivot dramatically. So I'm wondering what learning you would apply to the circumstance yeah. now. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of lessons to be learned if people will just think and listen and learn. But it brings to mind the old saying that those who do not learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat it. And that's sort of what I was mentioning from Saigon mm-hmm. uh, so many years ago. But 
in Afghanistan. We've been here before. We've seen part of this movie, The Taliban in Power, back in the late 1990s and early 2000s before the attack on our country uh, from their soil in 2001. So there are many lessons that we can learn in, as we proceed forward, as we try to talk to the Taliban about humanitarian aid and other issues. Women's education is so important, and that's the basis of the formation of our foundation, the Lamy Afghan Foundation, was building schools for girls. Girls are now not in school in the numbers they were before two months ago. They are not allowed to go beyond the sixth grade currently. This is a big deal. And this country will never be a success. This Afghanistan will never be a success unless we continue to educate girls, because that's half of the population, at least. And no country can be successful without educating its girls. And there are many, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of girls who have grown up to be women who are educated and want to work. And things have to change in Afghanistan, or they will be back in the stone ages again, as they were many years ago. So the world community, all countries need to put pressure on the government of Afghanistan now so that girls and women have rights that they have in most other countries in the world. This is very important. As I said, we've seen this before, we know what it's like, and we need to try to work hard with other countries, the international community to make changes in Afghanistan. So one worldview issue that comes to mind there, um, John, and, and maybe you know the answer to this question and maybe you don't. So don't don't feel uh, pressed to answer it because it just it just came to mind. Um, you know, it's my understanding that Muslims believe the beginning of the Bible in the same way that you and I do as Christians, but clearly not the part about men and women being equally created as image bearers of the living God. Um, do you? I mean, does that, how does that come into this conversation? Like, why are women not understood to be image bearers in Islam? Do you know? Well, uh, thank you for giving me an out here. And I am not an expert on the Quran, but I think that view that you just expressed is held fairly widely in some parts of uh, Islamic faith in part of the Muslim world, for sure. No doubt about it. We can see that in Afghanistan, and we can see it in Saudi Arabia. We can see it in other uh, Muslim-majority countries. But it is not what the Quran actually teaches. Men and women are the same, and they have equal rights. And it's a perverted view of the Quran, in my, from my knowledge, and I'm not an expert. It's, it's a perverted view that... Uh, men have priority and women are not as important. I just don't believe uh, that that is the normal view of the Quran. But again, mm. I'm not an expert. This is fascinating. All right, I'm going to pursue that a little bit more. Today is the International Day of the Girl Child, among uh, today being many other things. We led off at the beginning of the first hour, just reminding one another that, you know, today's the day the Lord has made, and today for some people will be the day of salvation. It's also the International Day of the Girl Child. So focus a little attention today spe specifically on women and girls in Afghanistan to learn more about them and efforts um, of those like John Bradley and his wife to uh, bring education to the girls of Afghanistan. Check, check out what they're doing, Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. John, as always, thank you so much. 
Thank you very much for having me on with you. I enjoy it each time. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Do you have something that's catching, like something contagious? What about your faith? Like, we talk about faith being something that's more caught than taught, but is our faith contagious? We're going to talk with Mark Middleberg. The new book is Contagious Faith. We'll be right back. God gave this promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will place a curse on those who harm you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. That's in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. This is Max Lucado. When God called Abraham out of Ur, he made a covenant, a promise that Abraham would be the father of a holy nation. Exactly how would God bless the world through Israel? Well, first, they would model a way of living that reflected the glory and goodness of God. And secondly, they would provide a lineage through whom Jesus Christ, the greatest global blessing, would be born. They were curators and caretakers of God's covenant to Abraham. For this reason, they were to remain separate, different, holy, set apart. And so are we. The assignment given to the Jews has been passed on to us. This is Max Lucado. Mark Middleberg is one of my favorite energetic communicators of the gospel and its contagious effects and the way that we are called to be people who share it winsomely with others. Mark, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you this morning. So for those of you who don't know him, Mark is not only a best-selling author, he's the executive director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. Um, his books are all excellent. Um, the one that I think that, you know, globally, the training course, Becoming a Contagious Christian, that's been translated into 20 languages and used by nearly 2 million people, um, is probably the one that is is closest in content to the book we're talking about today, which is Contagious Faith, Discover Your Natural Style for sharing Jesus with others. So I'm going to direct you to contagiousfaithbook.com, and I'm going to tell you right at the beginning, we're giving copies away. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing we've got going on for copies of Mark Middleberg's Contagious Faith. All right, Mark, with all of that, uh, you start off by describing Christians as, quote, those who have been reached by God to reach others. So just explain to us who we are. Well, we are uh, children of God who are left on this planet for that purpose. Um, and I often think about this, that so much of what we do here on earth, and, and that is real important and good here on earth, we will do in heaven as well. We will worship God in heaven like we do on Sundays at church. We'll fellowship with each other in heaven for all of eternity. I think we'll keep learning and growing. But the one thing, that we can do here on earth now that's going to end, you know, the trumpet's going to blow and it'll be over, is reaching others for Christ. And, you know, if you think about it, 
there's only one thing you can take with you into eternity, and that's other people. So we've got to get serious about this and figure out ways that fit us so we can share Christ with the people around us. And you talk about the necessity of each one of us finding an approach that fits us personally, and that leads you to you know lay out these five styles of what we would call evangelism. Um, talk with us first, before we get into the five styles, talk with us about what it means to find an approach that fits you. Well, uh, I think I can start by explaining it. I think a lot of us have felt what it's like to use approaches that don't fit us. And, you know, we've, we've probably all as believers, followers of Christ, we've probably had those awkward times where we felt out of place. Uh, For me, it was a whole summer over in England with my wife uh, doing door to door evangelism, which I'm all for, for someone, Uh, some believers are cut out for it, but I wasn't. And so I became starkly aware that if I'm ever going to share my faith, I need to find ways that fit my God-given personality. And that's, by God's grace, what happened next. And I began to realize I'm not cut out to talk to strangers in shopping malls or train stations or, you know, knocking on doors. Um, I'm cut out to give answers, to talk about reasons for our faith. And and once I discovered that, it liberated me. And then I began to realize maybe God's calling me to a ministry to help liberate a whole lot more of us. Uh, And that's why I wrote this new book, Contagious Faith, and have a course coming as well in a, a few weeks to help liberate every believer to find natural ways that fit them. And that's these five contagious faith styles that we could talk about. Yeah, so let's um, let's start unpacking those. And let me remind you all, we're talking to Mark Middleberg. You can find him at markmiddleberg.com. You can find the book at contagiousfaithbook.com. And we're giving away copies. So if you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Let's talk about the five styles of contagious faith, because I want to find the one, I want to find the approach that fits me. And it may or may not be the same approach that fits you. Exactly. Well, the first one is probably the broadest and, and maybe the most accessible for the most Christians, and it's the friendship-building style. And this is one my wife Heidi has, and frankly, it's how we got through that summer in England because I finally figured out uh, people open the door more for my wife than they do for me. Uh, she's an attractive, just vivacious person. She loves people. She's gregarious. And so we finally had her knock on the doors, and I'd kind of hide in the bushes, and they would let her in, and I'd run in behind her. And, and she just loves to have a cup of coffee and get to know people and naturally uses friendships to lead into spiritual discussions. And uh, we see this in the Bible, Matthew, the tax collector, who becomes a disciple of Jesus. It tells us in Luke 529 that he had a big banquet, a party in his house and invited all of his co-workers from the tax office and his new friends, the disciples, and even Jesus, and mixed it up 
relationally. And uh, some of our listeners, that that's their you know main weapon in their arsenal is is friendships, relationships, where they get to know people and then use that as a bridge into talking about what matters most. That's so good. All right. So there's friendship building. And then the second style that you offer is selfless serving. Yes. And this is based on a woman named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. And it's a pretty short passage, but it tells us that she made articles of clothing for people in need. And in fact, she died in the passage. It talks about how she passed away and people were just weeping because this woman who had served them and so modeled the love of Jesus in their lives was gone. And God's up up in heaven going, no way. Send Peter over there, pray over her and put her back to work. Um, and, uh, so, you know, this is an important style and it's one God uses. In fact, I say, if, if this is your style, you probably see needs other people don't see and you find joy in meeting those. And if you serve selflessly in the name of Christ, you can bring down the spiritual walls and often reach the hardest to reach people. My, uh, my brother-in-law, Joe, who, um, who died in August, we learned I learned at his funeral that this was his, like, knowing what you have said in Contagious Faith and now understanding that there are these different approaches to evangelism, selfless serving was my brother-in-law, Joe. Um, All right, we're going to continue this conversation with Mark Middleberg in just a moment. We are going to unpack the remaining three approaches or styles that are offered to us in Contagious Faith. Story sharing, reason giving, and truth telling. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Mark Middleberg about contagious faith. Discover your natural style for sharing Jesus with others. You can find Mark at markmiddleberg.com and the book at Contagious Faith Book. Dot com. We're also giving away copies today, so text the word book to 877-933-2484. We have talked about the first two styles, friendship building and selfless serving. So, Mark, let's pick up with story sharing. Yeah, this one is one where you speak out of your experience. You uh, talk about the difference Christ has made in your life in a way that can relate to other people and hopefully will make them want that kind of difference in their own life. Uh, The biblical example of this one is the blind man in John chapter 9 who Jesus heals. And the guy's amazed. I mean, he's never been able to see before. Suddenly he can see. But before he has a chance to blink, he finds himself on trial in front of the religious leaders, and they're pushing him for information about Jesus and how did he do it. And it's it's so interesting. If you read the passage, it's like he finally gets fed up, and it's like, look, I don't know. Here's what I know. I used to be blind. Now I can see. Deal with it. (laughs) You know, are you going to argue with my experience? This is what God did in my life. And that's something we can all do is we can point to, you know, and maybe it's not as dramatic as getting your sight, but uh, spiritually you got your sight. You were dead in your sins and you met the Savior. And what you found is something they can find as well. And God can use your story. And for some of us, that's our main approach, our main style. 
Yeah, I'm feeling like the people that, that Jesus raised from the dead, right? Like, that's their story. It's so good. All right. Yeah, um, but, but it doesn't have to be a dramatic one. And I try to no, encourage of course not. people. Yeah, or the witnessing story will re- relate to ordinary people. Yeah, and the witnessing of a miracle in someone else's life is a testimony in and of itself. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. All right, yeah. reason, reason giving. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this one because this is really the best of the five. And probably <laughs> that's just the because this is Mark's. This is Mark's. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. true. Um, and maybe not the most godly, but it is an important one. And that is uh, the reason giving. We see it in Paul, uh, especially in Acts 17, where he's in Athens, Greece, talking to a group of philosophers. And he gives a very reasoned defense of the faith and explains it very logically, and God uses it, and some of those philosophers become Christians, and some of us, this is our main approach, and this is what I really began to realize at England. I remember one of those doors, uh, Heidi knocked, and a really sweet woman uh, let us in and served us tea, and we're sitting there, but then she finally, in tears, starts to ask us if, if God's loving why did my kids die in the World War II bombings? The Nazi bombings killed her kids. And, you know, that's a hard question for anyone, but it was a very natural thing for Heidi then to kind of look at me like, this is your your turn, buddy. <laughs> you know, like, you, you, you try to answer that question. And again, no one can answer that easily, but it fit me to you know, really talk about it because I love to give logic and reason and reasons and answers like Paul did. Uh, Paul talks about how he persuaded people and he took thoughts captive and he demolished arguments and and so forth. So uh, that's my style. And we need a whole lot more of these types because there's so many people in our culture who need information. They, They have questions. They have doubts. And we have great answers, and some of us specialize in giving those answers. Okay, I love the two-by-two nature of this because your wife is a friendship-building person, and you are a reason-giving person, and God sent you out two-by-two because he knew you needed one person to get in the door and the other person to be present because the friendship-building people are kind of terrified by the reason-giving uh, challenge that the conversation exactly. uh, arrives at. So anyway, I just think it's totally beautiful. All right, tell yeah, us and, about... Oh, go ahead. And maybe we come back to that because one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is if you get a whole group in your, like your small group or your Sunday school class or even your whole church where everyone learns their style, then you learn how to intentionally partner with each other mm-hmm. in ways that you just described, Carmen. Totally, totally. All right, truth-telling. This is probably mine. Uh, truth, th- th- therefore, this is the best one. Um, truth telling, you know, and some of the, these names are pretty short. So it, some people look at this and go, shouldn't we all tell the truth? And of course, and we should all have elements of all of these. But some people are like, they specialize in this and they're more like Peter, who on Acts, in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, stood up and declared the gospel, you know, and he was talking to what could have been a really hostile audience of mostly Jewish people right after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But but he let him have it. And he, he said, you know, God sent his Messiah, but you all crucified him and you're in trouble. 
and they're cut to the quick. The Holy Spirit's working, and they say, we know, we get it. What do we have to do to be saved, Peter? Tell us. He says, well, I'm glad you asked. He said, the, the Messiah you murdered was raised back to life. And guess what? He's not mad. He loves you, and he wants to forgive you. And and he just boldly declares the gospel. And some of the people, well, some of our listeners, maybe you, Carmen, as well, this is your main approach. You, you love to kind of help people get off the fence, make a decision. You kind of nudge them spiritually. And I should add, this is not my style. This is more the one I tried to use in England, and it didn't fit me. But this is the style that God used to reach me when I was 19 years old. Uh, someone had to kind of get in my face with the truth a little bit to wake me up spiritually. All right. I um, I would be remiss if I did not ask a legacy question uh, here at the end of our conversation today. Um, tell me about Effa Middleburg. And tell me about Mitt Middleburg um, yes. and your paraphrase of Second Timothy one five. Oh yeah, that's that's in the book's dedication. I kind of paraphrase that uh, passage where Paul talks about uh, Timothy and his. Uh, I think it was his a relative of his name Lois. And I'm trying to get to that page in my I'll book read it. here. Here's what yeah. here's what here's what you say. First of all, about Effa, you say who influenced um, her entire family for five generations and counting, of Mitt, uh, of whom you say, whose walk with Christ marked my life for eternity. And then your paraphrase of 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm grateful for the sincere faith which first lived in my grandmother, Effa, and in my father, Orland, and I am persuaded now lives in me and my children and beyond. Because I think that establishes the whole chapter you have on legacy. Yeah, and I, I love talking about it. I wish I had more time, but my grandmother, Effa, came out of a very difficult situation. Her husband was a raging alcoholic. She had to commit him twice just to protect him from himself and protect the family. He finally did come around, but she became this prayer warrior grandmother who is like I was destined <laughs> Um, just because she was praying for me and, and my other siblings and, and especially my, my father, who I tell the story in the book, who joined the Navy and was just trying to get away from his alcoholic father. But he met another man, his commanding officer, who was a follower of Jesus, a guy named Bill Abraham. And Bill shared Christ with my father and invited him to an event, and he came to Christ. And now that has become a legacy in our family. All my siblings follow Christ. Uh, both of my kids are following Christ and serving him. And I use that as an example of what we want to do spiritually, both in our direct families and in our church families and in our communities to pass down the faith, like 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, to find faithful people to train and then equip to do the same. And that's what I hope this book, Contagious Faith, will do for many. I love it. All right. So uh, listener Nancy uh, Friesen or Fryson says, we're old friends. Please give my greetings and love to Mark and Heidi. So there you go. Oh, Nancy, she, she little was, shout out. Little shout that's out from Nancy. awesome. She was a missionary. <gasps> All right. Well, maybe we'll have to have Nancy on. All right, Mark yeah. Middleberg, as always, thank you so much. The book is Contagious Faith. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Visit Mark online at markmiddleberg.com. We'll be right back.
All right, it is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. I love my pastor. I know you love your pastor as well. Uh, let's show uh, show them our appreciation. Pastors are overworked and often unappreciated, so we're trying to do our part. Faith Radio wants to send your pastor and their spouse to the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, for a relaxing, restorative time away. You can nominate your pastor right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Uh, retreats are reserved for uh, people actively in ministry right now and their spouses and uh, only available to U.S. residents. So those are the only two caveats. So get online at MyFaithRadio.com. Nominate your pastor during this Pastor Appreciation Month. Send your pastor and their spouse to the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, that is a great thing. I love that. I'm getting online right now at MyFaithRadio.com and putting my pastor uh, in there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's show our pastor some love this month, some special love and appreciation. Let's do it for other people as well. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.